0: Connecting life and faith. This is Connections.
1: About eighteen months after losing my first child, three months after I started having these really dreadful physical feelings, um, we lost our second child, Noah, and um, that, uh, needless to say, that, that put me into a tailspin. Um, still fighting it, you know. I still wasn't. I still wasn't surrendering. Uh, but eventually. I didn't have an option. I eventually had to surrender.
2: And he was eventually able to get the help that he needed. But it was also through this journey that today's guest realized that there weren't very many resources out there for fathers grieving the loss of a child. That's when he started up a small blog called The Grieving Dads Project. And the response from that was overwhelming, so much so that he realized that he needed to do more. He has since released a book titled Grieving Dads to the Brink, And back. He's going to share a little bit about that book, about his own journey, and about why he decided to start up this project. We're going to hear that and so much more today. We're joined today by Kelly Farley. After experiencing the loss of two children within a short period, he decided to start up a blog called The Grieving Dads Project. The response from that was so overwhelming that he also decided to release a book. That book is titled Grieving Dads to the Brink and Back. You've been through a lot in your life. It's a road that's been up and down. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, about your family.
1: Yeah, no problem. The um, my uh, my background and I guess my professional career, professional life, is more of a engineer. Um, I've been doing that for about twenty seven years, and um, my wife and I. My wife was also an engineer, and um, at the time and she's now a special ed teacher. But at the time when we lost our first child, we were, you know, like most corporate people, we were trying to climb the corporate ladder and trying to succeed and get ahead and thought life was fantastic. And, and then you know, we were unstoppable in our mid thirties and, uh, we put off having children for a while to get our careers going. And, uh, when we decided to have children, um, we ended up having to go through fertility treatments and, um, that kind of resulted in uh, our first child, Katie, who we had lost um, as a baby, um, and that was in 2004, November of 2004. And um, after that, <clears throat> I I didn't really want to go through fertility treatments again, but we 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 did, um, just mainly because I was I was the fear of losing another child. And um, at the time, after the first loss, I was trying to kind of run from the grief. I was trying to do what most guys are, I guess, in, where I grew up. I grew up in a, an area of a rural area, uh, eastern Iowa. And um, I was told, you know, big boys don't cry. And um, I never saw, and was, I've said this in my book, I've said this in many other interviews, is that I've never seen a grown man cry um, up until I was like, it was me trying to fight it off, I guess. Uh, so i didn't I didn't know it was acceptable for a for a guy to feel pain and to surrender um so I fought it I fought it for about a year year and a half and it finally caught up with me you know it, it was kind of gradual um you know I went back to work about a week after losing my daughter and um I went into kind of like i became a workaholic for like a year and I was really just trying to run away from it and just you know i tuck it away back in my you know, dark spaces of my, my head and hopefully never have to see it again. Um, But unfortunately, my wife took a different path and was, um, and and rightfully so. Um, She was grieving, deeply grieving on the couch, you know, for six months. And I kept trying to get away from it. And I didn't want to talk about it. Um, That's all she wanted to talk about. So I just kept working longer hours, working harder, thinking I could outrun it. Because I've done that with just other adversities in life. And, and at this point in time, I hadn't gone through hardly any adversities, you know, 10 me in your best day. I never operated much below an eight. Um, and so as that year went on, um, I started having weird physical symptoms. Um, I went to the doctor, I said, Hey, something's wrong. I I'm having these weird headaches. Um, I think I have a brain tumor. You know, I look back now and kind of laugh at that, but <laughs> now, Kelly, I think it's, I think it's grief. Uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't deal with the loss of Katie. And I'm like, I ah, can't be grief. You know, I've it's, uh, it got, it, it's physical. It's something physical going on. A couple more months later, this would have been about 15 months later. I started waking up in the morning with just like dread and I was bawling. And I like, didn't know I couldn't control it. I just had this, like I'd wake up sad and I'd cry and I'd be physically weeping and, um, wasn't sure what it was. It kind of scared me. So I went back to the doctor. He's a like, Kelly. It's grief. You need to process this. You know, here, here's a, here's a number to a counselor. I'm like, well, I'm not going to a counselor. And he goes, well, here's a, here's a prescription, right? And here's a, here's an antidepressant. You know, and I'm like, I'm not taking, I'm not taking a pill for this. You know, it's like at the time I looked back and I said, depressions for weak people. And I'm not weak. Um, I've learned a lot since that statement. <laughs> and the, uh, <laughs> um about 18 months after losing my first child 3 months after I started having these really dreadful physical feelings um we lost our second child Noah and um that uh needless to say that that put me into a tailspin um still fighting it you know I still wasn't I still wasn't surrendering um but eventually I didn't have an option. I eventually had to surrender. And then I, I decided to start going to counseling. And, and, and it was an easy decision for me. I still remember sitting in the counselor's office in the waiting area. And I'm like embarrassed that I had, first of all, I had to walk in there. Second of all, what if somebody sees me sitting in here that knows me, right? And I'm trying to hold it together because all I wanted to do in this waiting room is just start crying because I'm, I'm still trying to fight it and hold it in. By myself, I could let it go, but in public, I was embarrassed to do so. Um, so I was once I got into the office, I basically sat there and cried for like an hour. And uh, the counselor cried with me. And um, I left there, and I got in my car, and I got, like, wow, this is the first time I feel better in a long, long time. Um, and, you know, I was able to connect pretty quickly. Um, it was the fact I I just released it all. I started talking about it and telling someone else the pain I was carrying. Um, but, you know, of course, that wasn't the last of it. And I ended up going there twice a week for like a year. And I did end up taking an antidepressant, which also embarrassed me at the time. And I felt like I'd let myself down, that I was weak. Um, so that was kind of my initial journey of of uh, fighting through the grief for a
0: couple of years before I surrendered to it. Now, uh, you, like you help a lot of other men, too. Uh, I can relate to your story. My wife and I, we lost five pregnancies. We do have a, a couple of young kids now, but uh, one interesting thing: w- when we lost those pregnancies, people were great at checking in and how is she doing? How's Katie doing? Right? And do you need anything to help her? Kind of thing. Um, do you find <laughs> that that's pretty consistent? That uh, oh, yeah. we tend to forget about the men.
1: Oh, it's it's extremely common, and I. And I do my workshops across uh, uh across the United States and um even Canada. I was in I was in Toronto last year, two years ago, doing a presentation up there. It's it doesn't matter what culture you are from or what country you're from. We all deal with the same type of stuff, even though I hear it from people from around the world saying, Well, you know, in our culture it's not it's not um it's not acceptable for men to show their feelings. And I'm like, Well, okay. I hear that from every. I hear that from every culture, but I do hear from a lot of men um, in my workshops, and because I always ask the question, do do men and women have different opportunities to grieve, and do we gr- do we really grieve differently, or is it society expects us to grieve differently, or is it a little bit of both? And the one thing I hear quite often is. They always ask how my wife's doing, but they never ask how my, how I'm doing. And you're right. They don't. And they and, you know it's very rare that they'll say they, and I guarantee you they don't ask the wife, "Hey,
0: how's your husband doing?"
1: Because it's just expected. Yeah. yeah,
0: we're doing okay. Yeah. Almost. So how are men when you first meet them, they come to your groups and things that you're helping them with like uh are they just like excited to finally find a place or does it take quite a bit of work to get them to open up?
1: Well it takes work. Yeah. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to get them to open up. Uh, I was,
0: you know, I get it. I
1: was one of them. I, mean, I try to have a very frank conversation. I'm a very direct person. Um, and so usually if I start my workshops, first one I did, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. It was actually in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, I think somebody had asked me to come down and do a workshop for a, a, a it was a grief, um, retreat weekend kind of thing and there was couples there they wanted me to do a men's workshop so I did I pretty excited about it and I didn't know how many people were going to show up didn't know what to expect and about 20 guys showed up and a lot of them i think their wives made them show up you know they kind of walked them to the door and and kind of pushed them in <laughs> pushed them into mm-hmm. the room and uh the guys that came in, usually their heads were down. They didn't want to make eye contact. They didn't want to talk with anybody. And I'm guessing it's because they were fighting it. You know, if they, if they make eye contact with another grieving dad, it was just automatically knew they were both hurting. And you're in the same room with somebody that understood your pain. It becomes, you become very vulnerable. So a lot of these guys just kept their head down. They didn't talk to anybody, even sitting with the guys right next to them. So when I got started, I told my story. And uh, I knew this going in. I was going to start with telling my story. And then I was going to go around the room and ask people to introduce themselves before we got into the kind of the presentation. And I started with, you know, hey, tell as much of your story as you'd like. Um, and if you just want to say your name, where you're from, that's fine. We'll move on. And the first guy, first guy comes on, yeah, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, he was real quick about it, real very, you know, kind of skimmed over it. He says, yeah, my wife or my my daughter got drunk at a party, fell off from a second story um, apartment deck, and um, she died. And then, you know, just quick like that, 10 seconds. Wow, yeah. Looked over to the guy next to him, like, okay, it's your turn. And by the time I got to the third guy, third guy, you could see these guys holding it in around the room. The third guy just couldn't hold it together anymore. And it was interesting for me, because I had never experienced this before, to watch the other men surround him that were near him, surround him with compassion, put their, their hands on his shoulder, got him tissues. It was, it was very interesting. And by the mm-hmm. time that thing we've only, we only had two hours. And luckily we're up against a lunch hour break. The guys didn't want to leave after two hours, end up being there three and a half hours. They end up saying, Hey, we got another workshop coming into this room. You got to get out. <laughs> I think we could have, we could have, we could have been there all afternoon, but seeing the guys come up, before and after, coming up, giving me big bear hugs, thanking me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty powerful. And I knew I was onto to something at that point in time.
2: It's as though we almost treat men as though they're not, you know, you're just some strong, burly yeah. people. But in reality, yeah. we're all humans yeah. and we yeah. all have emotions and those emotions we need to get out of our bodies.
1: That's right. That's right. It's extremely destructive. And it's um, I've heard from men around the world um, since this book was published. And actually before that, because I started writing my blog before I even wrote the book about two years prior. And I knew I started hearing men from around the world that came across my website because nobody else was out there talking about it. And the reason I knew that is because when I decided to surrender and it's important and I tell these guys this. In fact, I have another book coming out later this uh, in 2022 and it's really about learning to surrender as men and um and it's not easy to do because we're we're programmed to to battle right and um the importance of being transparent and surrendering to the process and it's a um and there is a process to this you have to get it out and i've i've received calls from men saying i'm sitting at my kitchen table with a 357 magnum i can't go through wow. this anymore i can't do it anymore I said, well, you can't do what anymore? So I can't pretend like nothing happened. And um, and this was this was an oil executive um, from Edmonton, Canada. And he called me on a Saturday night, and then we talked for about an hour. Uh, a couple of years ago, I heard from him. He says, Kelly, I'm not sure what you said to me that night, but I want you to know you saved my life. It's been five years since that phone call. so I remember it. I remember it vividly. And uh, it, the guys just need – they just need – an opportunity to talk without judgment.
2: As someone, I'm on the other side of this, right? Uh, in mm-hmm. our house, we've also experienced loss too. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I was looking at my husband, it was like he didn't want to, you mentioned how he didn't want to talk about it. In our house too, he didn't want to talk about it. And I was like, what? Like, how, could, how dare you walk away from this? But it's interesting to hear now the men's perspective because as the female, as the one that's going through the physical side of things, mm-hmm. you're just looking at this like, how dare you walk away? this is awful. And I know in our household that created a lot of animosity between the two of us, because it's like, why, how dare you walk away? But in reality, I'm listening to you going now, that was obviously his way of grieving.
1: Well, it was his way of trying to survive it and not talk about it because he felt like he didn't have permission to, to grieve. Right. He was embarrassed because that's how society has programmed us to be
0: yeah you can get emotional if you win a sports championship or a okay. piece of machinery breaks down or a big fish gets away, but that's about okay. it right otherwise okay. you, uh you're not supposed to show those kind of emotions. We can show anger, I think right we're yes. told that you can get angry <laughs> <laughs> but you can't grieve and you can't cry because that's somehow seen as uh overly sensitive or maybe even dramatic or something okay. like that yeah,
1: absolutely and we I talk about that in my workshop about that word anger, right? What's the one emotion society is comfortable with in men? And that's anger.
0: Yeah.
2: And that's where it goes. Going back to the blog, when you first started that up, when, that, when you felt like, you know, I need to do something, I need to start something mm-hmm. up because there's no resources out there. Were you surprised with the amount of men that actually came forward and were, were sharing their stories with you?
1: I was pleasantly shocked because I still thought I was the only guy who felt that way out there. Um, because when I did surrender, started looking around, this would have been like in 2007, 2008, a couple of years after losing my second child. I knew I knew I couldn't go on in the corporate world. I knew I couldn't go back to the guy I was before because I kept trying to. And I knew I, that guy was gone. And, it's, it's, and I tell guys this all the time. You need to accept that. Um, the guy you were before is no longer the same guy. He's gone. Right. So the next thing you had to do is figure out who the new you was going to be. And, um, I knew I kept, couldn't, I couldn't keep you in the corporate grind. It didn't mean anything to anymore. It was just, what was, what's the purpose to make money? So what, you know, I I can tell you money's not going to come in or material items are not going to come in and get you out of bed in the morning when you just don't feel like you can breathe anymore. Um, I learned that the hard way, but when I started looking around, like for support, once I made the decision, I was going to surrender, not just to a counselor, but, there has to be other guys feeling this out there. I couldn't find anything. I just couldn't find anybody. There was one guy I'd reached out to. Um, and he said, good luck. I, he goes, nobody wants to talk about it. So I, I don't really do much with it anymore. I'm like, okay, that's not very, and I appreciate his feedback and I appreciate he was a fellow grieving dad. And he's, I sense his frustration, but I'm like, you know what? I can't, I can't, not do something i have to do something so in 2007 i enrolled in to become a counselor and that was kind of my way i'm an i'm an action-oriented type person um try to be and i'm like you know i'm gonna take classes i'm gonna be a counselor because there's nobody out there for men and i'm gonna work strictly with men that've been through trauma and that's and that's another thing i talk about is this isn't just grief you know a lot of these stories i hear the first story in my book is about a guy. I found his 15-year-old hanging from the ceiling fan in his bedroom. Wow. Is that trauma? Yeah, that's trauma. And I tell guys that. You know, is it, were you in a car accident when you found your, your two-year-old in the baby seat in the, in the back seat um, didn't survive? Is that trauma? Yeah. Guys, it's not just grief. You know, we have to treat this as if it's a traumatic event. I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, so there's there's it's not just grief that we're dealing with, and I try to try to help these guys understand that, and and that surrendering and finding support. So, to circle back. I kind of created something. I wasn't sure if anybody was going to show up to my blog, but I was excited they did because it just validated the fact there's other guys feeling what I was feeling, but we weren't talking about it. So my goal was to create a platform for us to talk about
0: you um mentioned a word uh that seems to be very important surrender can you tell us a little bit more uh about that and why it's so important to surrender what is it and how do we do it
1: well what is it what is is basically just laying everything out there right um all that stuff you tucked away. And what I've found, there's other stuff I've tucked away in my life. I didn't realize I even tucked away. I just didn't deal with it. And once you open that, open that gate and start letting this stuff out, um, stuff we carry, we don't even realize we carry, um, it all starts to pour out. It's not just the pain of losing a child. It's just other stuff that's happened to you in life. It may not even, you didn't think it was even that big of a deal. Or things you did. Uh, that maybe you're not proud of that's kind of some things I went through and just like you know what it's it just it just lightens your load you know this we do life I think we pick up these things we just carry them with us right and I think having that platform of of going to a counselor's office and not every counselor is going to help you I mean you may find one that doesn't help you at all it you know I don't encourage people that are listening is to if you go to counseling, you're not connected, move on, right? Go to another doctor or another counselor or a doctor for that matter. Um, if they dismiss you as, oh, this is just this grief, just, you know, here's a pill. Um, it's more than just, it's more than just taking an antidepressant. It's a combination of things that I was told. And I, and I do believe this. It's, you got to work on physical stuff, like working out. I believe talk therapy, counseling is important. Um, and in some cases, I believe medication is important um, and surrendering, just telling people your story. Talk about it and connecting with a community of others <clears throat> that are going through the same thing. That's what I would consider surrendering, but it takes work. It's not just a, hey, one time I'm going to go tell my story. and That's it. I've told my story thousands of times, thousands. And when I first started telling it, I couldn't even hardly get the words out because I get pretty, pretty detailed in some of my story of what I experienced when I was in that room or whatever happened. I couldn't talk about it before without breaking down. I can now do that. Um, it's become another story of my life. If that makes sense. It's not something I'd like, Oh, I can't, I can't go there. You know, I've heard guys, Oh, I can't go there because I might not ever stop crying. Like, okay, no one's ever, never stopped crying. Um, It may feel like you're not going to stop crying and it's hard and it's embarrassing, but get over it. I mean, this is part of, this is part of um, human nature and it's okay. And if other people don't like the fact you're being vulnerable or you're crying, that's on them, not you.
0: Tell us a little bit about uh, your book, what the response has been like and how folks can find that book.
1: Um. Yeah, the book. Well, after I started the blog, I wasn't sure I was going to start a book. I didn't know. Um, but once I started writing the blog and and um, my early if you, my earlier writings, and I haven't I haven't written anything, and uh, it's been a while. Um, but my early stuff was pretty raw. Um, it was mainly whatever was on my mind that day was what I was kind of dumping into this blog. It was therapeutic for me to sit there and write these blogs, and sometimes. I would write them, you know, and I'd be bawling, and and, uh, uh, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start writing my book, and I don't know what the book was going to look like. I didn't know if it was going to be about my story or what, um, and so I just started dumping all my everything, every little detail of what happened into this book, uh, into into this you know computer I was typing, and <clears throat> within two weeks I had like thirty thousand words. I probably didn't use, you know. 15% of it, or I probably didn't use 85% of it, um, but it was therapeutic to sit there and write that out. But I realized the feedback I was getting from the, from the dads and the guys that were wanting more. So I decided I was going to travel around the United States and Canada and um, get a feel and interview other men that experienced the death of a child. And um, so I did that. I went to a lot of different towns, I took stories. I created a survey, and I had people fill it out. I, I took stories. I set up a nice little spreadsheet like a good engineer would do, And I, because I, mainly because I, I wanted to find people that came from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all socioeconomic backgrounds, whether they had means to counseling or not, what was the reason for the death of their child. Was it drug? Was it suicide? Was it a miscarriage? Was it an abortion? Was it... Um, plane crash. I've heard them all. I've heard serial killer stuff. Um, and we'd just sit and talk and we'd have it over a cup of coffee or we'd have a beer. and We'd talk about it and, um, I'd share my story and I'd record it. You know, it wasn't me taking notes. I just record it and and then gave it back to somebody I hired to kind of transcribe everything. Key points. And I just took these stories and just, um, intermixed them with kind of my experiences. And what I've learned is the experiences are almost, the stories are different, but the process, the experience, the journey is very similar. And one thing I've learned is that the guys that are still very, there's a difference between the guys that are still very stuck and the ones that are surviving and now what I would say thriving in life. And that secret is finding something to honor your children, right? So this book to me was a way for me to help others, but to do it in a way knowing that um, Katie and Noah is proud of their dad. Like I try to live my life every day to do something to where like, that's that's my dad. That makes sense. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I no. found for men, for men, that's one of the most powerful things, almost a turning point for them. Once that clicks in their head, that like, hey, I need to do something. I can't just lay around you know, hate my life. Let this destroy me. And you have, you have a choice. You have two decisions. You either going, this is either going to kill you or it's going to turn you into somebody different. That's going to make a difference in other people's lives. And I've seen both.
2: And that's something that you're doing. So we know on your blog and just all around you, you don't want to not include certain people you want to include everybody. So faith isn't often talked about, but you do have a uh, faith Tell us a little bit about how all of this has helped. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with God and, and how this was all affected through all of this.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, I would grown up in a Pentecostal type environment, so I, I, it was pretty strict growing up. So I kind of, I'd gotten away from it a little bit, to be perfectly honest with you in my twenties and thirties and, and mid thirties until uh, I was always a believer. I just um, wasn't involved in the church community. Um, but I will say um, I wouldn't have survived it without That's the word I'm looking for. Um, and I've heard, I've heard him called the great counselor and that clicked with me um, because I was a time looking for a counselor and I spent, Every morning, reading passages from from the Bible is a way to calm myself down before I went to work. Because I was I was in panic mode. I was panicking nonstop. It's anxiety because I'd go to work and I'd sit there. I'd cry all day, <clears throat> and um, and I'd have and I'd have I'd signed up for this one minute Bible readings. These emails that came to me every day. I looked forward to going in every day to read those. I found a lot of peace and calm um, in Scripture. <clears throat> and, and just going to, um, service. I went to two a week, uh, two, sometimes three in the middle of the week. I'd find one that was open and I'd go and I'd sit there in the back and I'd, and I would just sit there and cry. Part of me wished somebody would come over and ask me if something was okay, but no one ever did. Um, cause I was, I still hadn't surrendered at that point in time. I was still fighting it. Um, I wanted to have somebody give me permission and it was somebody through the, the local church I belonged to as a Stevens minister. If you ever heard of a Stevens minister, um, who was a guy at the church who volunteered his time. He'd been trained, but he wasn't a pastor. He had a professional job, but he, he volunteered his time to meet with me. Um, and we'd have dinner once a week. And in my book, there was one point in my book. It's a turning point, what I call rock bottom, because I had not told anybody my story. And, um, I was sitting there with this guy, he was a nurse, big, kind of a big burly guy. And, um, he used to be a psych nurse as well. And, um, actually, no, he was an IT now. He used to be a psych nurse. I, I apologize. But he, we were sitting there and I was telling my story. And I'm, I'm embarrassed because I'm at this restaurant and I'm balling. And, um, he's listening to me and I get done. And he looks at me and he says, that's a heavy load, brother. Um, and for me, that was a turning point because here here I was with this other grieving dad or this other dad or other guy, burly kind of guy. And he's like, hey, man, that's hard. That's tough stuff. It's confirmation to me that what I was dealing with really was as hard as I thought it was. But for me, um, if I would never gone, I'm not sure I would have surrendered if it wasn't for him or it took me a lot longer, but it was somebody from the church that, that just took his time and listened and was sincere and um, really just what we're all told to do, but we're probably not that good at it, is just be a listening ear for others.
2: For sure. For those who are potentially in a position like you and want to learn more about you, about what you're doing, about your blog or about your book, how can they find you? They can
1: find me at grievingdads.com. And my book is also on there. And you can
0: find my book on uh, Amazon.
2: Thank you so much for making time for us. No we problem. really appreciate
0: yeah. hearing your story and the work that you're doing. And uh, yeah, I know it's going to help a lot of people listening. Thank you. I hope it does. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
2: And thank you so much for joining and for listening. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation again, or you want to listen to any of the other conversations that we've had on Connections, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastbill.ca or wherever else to get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.